Uh, good morning, everyone. Happy hot Sunday. Look at you all. Wow. Um, this is where you turn to your neighbor and, and do a hillside favorite traditional greeting. You look hot. That's where you, right? Right? If ever there was a day for that, today's the day. Uh, my understanding is we're hitting like in the 40s today, which in my history, almost 29 years of living in British Columbia, I don't remember 40 in the lower mainland. I mean, you know, did we suddenly transplant to a Soyuz or something? I mean, I don't know what the deal is, but welcome everyone uh, in person. It is so great to have a congregation in the room, and uh, we're just so grateful. And for these of you, those of you at home, it's actually not that hot in here, or, or maybe it's just because I've got a fan aimed right at me. This is lovely. Cool. It's not that bad, is it? It's not that bad. Um, really, uh, it seems like uh, uh, after the last year and a half of us kind of um, doing church differently, uh, I'm so looking forward to us beginning to connect again in person, and uh, I think God has great things in this next season for us as we regather. So thank you for, for uh, suffering through it, and uh, I, uh, I know God's got good things ahead. Well, today we're putting a pause on our Gospel of Matthew series and jumping into a summer series next week on prayer. Uh, we're calling it Praying with Sinners and Saints, and we're going to be jumping around the Bible, seeing what God, what we can learn from various characters in the Bible about prayer through their experience of prayer. I'm ex so excited as we press into this practice of prayer uh, because it's one of the core practices of an apprentice of Jesus is learning how to pray. And I, I love that we have Ben coming uh, on our Wednesday night. We have Jerry Hoyer up at the end of July. We're going to be, it's going to be a hearing God part two. So Ben's going to be hearing part, God part one, and then we'll uh, uh, jump into that later in the month as well. Jerry has always inspired me in her listening life to God. It's going to be really good. Uh, but before we leave Matthew for a bit, uh, today we're looking at just one verse from Matthew 6, where Jesus is warning against a very common mistake that we can all be kind of sucked into. For some of us, what Jesus warns about in the first verse of Matthew chapter 6 runs so deep, it's so per pervasive, I think many of us struggle with it. In fact, when I was mentioned that I, what I was speaking on this, this Sunday I had to, a, to a bunch of different people, um, more than one said, please don't mention me by name or show my picture on the screen. <laughs> Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, the condition that Jesus addresses here in this verse is what might be called in our day approval addiction. Addiction to approval. It's to live in bondage to what other people think of us, to make a, a kind of a performance out of our lives, to be seen by them. You might call it the disease to please. Jesus will go on in Matthew chapter 6 to talk about it. In that day, people would often do this by, by showing people how much they're giving, how much they're praying, how much they were fasting. In, in his day, often you could pursue uh, status by flaunting how, your, the, your level of commitment to God. Uh, we live in a much religious culture, so we tend to do it in other ways, but the underlying temptation is still there to try to live 
for what other people think of us rather than who I actually am before God. What Jesus teaches us is that we can take something good. Again, what Jesus calls righteousness here, you could call it good works. The example is again, praying, giving, fasting. But it could be our grades. It could be our work. It could be our bodies uh, or our families. And use that to win other people's approval and kind of feed our egos. And here's the tricky thing. We can be entirely blind to it. That's the danger of it. See, anytime you, <laughs> you try to win somebody's approval, you can't acknowledge you're trying to win their approval because nobody will give you approval if they think that you are an approval junkie. Did you follow that? In Matthew 6, the, the idea that Jesus is cautioning towards is that people are giving and praying or fasting because they want to impress others to be seen by them, but they have to pretend that they're doing it because they love God so much. That's why Jesus calls this hypocrisy, and it gets into all of us everywhere. Uh, it gets into churches. We all do this. There's this kind of pretending that can go on, this subtle... point how the pursuit of likability can be something that, that sticks with them and it sticks with us throughout the rest of our lives. Princeton calls it the likability trap. And we kind of live our lives at the mercy of how other people view us. And, and so, as Dallas Willard said, impression management, you know, managing how other people view us becomes a, a mandate of our lives. I suspect this is kind of epidemic in our day, uh, like maybe amplified in greater ways. You know why? Well, think social media, right? It feeds this. It's, it's all about getting what? Likes, right? That, that, that positive little hit when somebody gives you a like or shares your post, or conversely, that sinking feeling when it's only your mom who likes your post, right? I, I don't post a lot on social media. I do the occasional selfie, a picture of myself or my wife and I, but uh, you know what a selfie is? I heard a, a definition recently. I like it. it. Basically, it's a way to ask people to compliment you. <laughs> right? And so uh, numbers of followers or how many likes you get can be a way of measuring our sense of status. And it never ends well because on one hand, it can be like, look how great I am. On the, or if you're more like me, it's more like, you know, envy and jealousy because there's always somebody that's cooler than you, hipper than you, better than you, has, has better photography, takes better vacations, and seems to have a better life, right? John Mark Comer put it this way. 
He says, as we all know, social media is intentionally or unintentionally curating a lie. He says, the image we project to the world is not, not who we are or how we actually live. It's often who we want people to think that we are or who we actually want to be. If you're like me, I, I'm very selective about what I post. I, I, I post the highlight reel. I don't post pictures or, or comments of when my wife Angel and I are having an argument over nothing again. I, I don't post when I feel like at the end of the rope of being a dad and want to choke my kid. Did I say choke my kids on, online? That's, no. Um, I don't post when I'm having a really bad day in my work or where I really struggle with being a pastor. I don't post about times where I feel vulnerable or depressed or really discouraged. People are only getting this one, one version of me. I don't post those things because I want to look good and I want to look good in front of you. Social media is kind of like easy pickings here, right? But what might be other symptoms of a people-pleasing addiction be? How about overwork? Just kind of become a slave to your work, to performing at work. Or conversely, a struggle uh, goes along with that, a struggle to actually practice rest and Sabbath. How about an over-concern about academics? Academics can be a good thing, but an over-concern for them, for grades, could show itself in caring too much about your job title or about your resume or about your promotion or maybe your lack thereof. Could be a lack of boundaries. You find it difficult to say no. How about your response to criticism? Does a word of correction or a critical remark crush you or consume you or set you off? How about an over-concern for things like your weight, your body image, your fashion, technology, having the latest, greatest fill-in-the-blank, MacBook or iPhone? Or how about how your house looks, you know? <laughs> you know, this might be an issue when there's panic when somebody drops into your place and your place is untidy and looking crazy, right? Or, or they're over and everything's pristine, but they happen to open the Tupperware drawer, right? You know, one of the problems for of people who suffer from approval addiction is you can never get enough. You, ne you can never get enough. You never know when you quite made it, when you're, you've quite hit the mark, and there's this kind of relentless need for more. Now, the alternative to approval addiction is simply this, to live before an audience of one. To live before an audience of one. Soren Kierkegaard, the, the Danish thinker, talked about this idea of living as though I have an audience which just consists of God alone. And, and what this recognizes is that you and I, we were, we were made to seek approval. We can't help ourselves. We come out of the womb and we're like, look at me, right? And you see how Babies, when they're loved and when they're noticed and when they're delighted, they just beam. They just radiate joy. We know that's good. You know, I think of my boys when they were just boys and we'd go to the playground. And what would they say more often than they'd say anything else? Watch me, Daddy, watch me, right? So good. And, you know, I, I think some of our issues as adults 
with approval addiction are some of our struggles can be con connected to how we didn't receive adequate affirmation and approval when we were young. Some of you had great parents, but you still carry wounds from what your parents did or did not say to you when you were small. Some of you have been longing your whole life, to, and, and your parents might not even be around anymore, but you still kind of wish you'd heard the words, I'm proud of you, I like who you are. Parents usually try their best, but still can sometimes miss the genius of who their children are and, and, and celebrate that. And some of you know these wounds very well. Theologically speaking, I think parents are, are meant to steward this from our Heavenly Father, this affirmation of their children. They're stewards of that with their kids. And if we don't get it from our parents, what will we do? We'll look everywhere else. We'll spend our whole life kind of like, you know, like beggars with a cup going around looking for that affirmation feed because we're made for it. But often I think that the roots of an approval addiction, addiction can run pretty deep. And most of us, I think, need a deep work of healing because of it. The question is, though, it's not, will I seek approval? The question is, where will I seek it? Because I have an infinite need for approval. That's part of being human. But God has an infinite supply. Only God does. We're made to live our lives before and, and toward God, what, what Jesus called seeking first the kingdom of God. But it's about living to please God, to be approved of God. And I can find security in, in God's love. I find my identity in the image of God. I find my hope in the, the strength and, and power of God. I, I live for God's approval, not human approval. In fact, I'd say you can't actually live for both human approval and divine approval. You have to choose kind of which road. Uh, the Apostle Paul said, he said, am I, am, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I'd be pretending. I'd be performing. I'd be calculating. I'd be guessing, but not a servant of Jesus. In the Gospel of John, he talks, he's, he's talking about a certain group of people, and it says, for they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. And Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and they were in a bit of a mess, and he says to them, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Here's a little phrase to take with you this week if you want to work on your approval addiction. In the words of Paul, it's I care very little. And in our words today, it would be three words, right? I don't care. Let's say it together out loud with me. I don't care, right? It's liberating. When it comes to people's opinion or approval, I don't care. Uh, this week, when some fashion expert doesn't approve of your fashion style, you say, I don't care. When the cool kids don't approve of your choice of music, I don't care. When a coworker doesn't like your, your idea, I don't care. When a police officer doesn't like how fast you're going, I don't, you might actually want to care about that one, Right? When you take I don't care into your week, it doesn't mean I don't care about you. It means I live for an audience of one, and you're not that one. You're not him. 
See, God is not calling you to win universal approval. Uh, you know, I remember when I started working at a church here, and, and I kind of having this weird thought, well, one thing, good thing about working at a church is that everybody will like me, because everybody likes you at church. Well, how's that working? <laughs> Life is never that way. Not everyone is going to like us. We'll, we'll never, ever kind of scratch that itch, but... Here's the amazing thing. This is life in the kingdom of God. Jesus loves me. In fact, Jesus likes me. Jesus likes me, this I know. Isn't that what the Bible says? No, it's Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I, I live now in the security of a kingdom that is all about pleasing an audience of one. Jesus goes on to name the opposite, or the consequent of the opposite of, of performing to impress others, to do things to be seen by others. Now, again, in that day, it, it was often religious. In, in our day, it might be working hard or athletics or all kinds of things to be seen by others. He says, and this is pretty profound, he says, if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Really, what he's saying here is that if approval from people from people is the award, reward that you're looking for. That's all you'll get. But he's saying what you're doing is actually you're setting your sights way too low. Um, when we go on to, to Matthew 6, Jesus goes on to talk about a lot of rewards. And, and it can be confusing because Jesus will say when he talks about fasting and praying and giving, he says, if you do these things to be seen, you'll get a certain reward, but you won't get one from God. But if you do stuff in secret where God alone sees you, God will reward you. The Bible has a lot to say about rewards. I, I like C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity writes about this a bit. But he kind of talks about how we're supposed to view rewards. God rewards like grown-ups. Like when he's talking, you know, crowns and mansions, he's not meaning literal crowns and mansions, Right? In Matthew 6, and many people misunderstand this, Jesus is not saying if you do good things and, and somebody else sees them, then God says, well, I was going to give you extra jewels in your crown and a bigger mansion, but, but other people have seen what you did, so I'm going to take your reward back, right? Some people think that. It's not about that. The reward that Jesus is talking about here is the person you become. The idea is if you do these things in secret, if you fast and give and pray and do Jesus-y things throughout your life, if you love Jesus and put him first, you'll increasingly be freed from the slavery and tyranny of approval addiction. You'll have the, the peace that comes from knowing that you're loved by God. You'll, you'll have the security of, of not needing the approval of other people all the time. You'll have the joy of being free to, to gladly help another person without constraint and without the need for being recognized for it. You can even be happy when somebody like raises their eyebrow at you or honks at you on the road or offers a critical word undeservedly. But if you keep performing your deeds to impress other people, doing your righteous deeds to be seen by them, then your reward will be that they'll be impressed with you. Maybe, right? It's not a guarantee. God will allow you to have that, but you'll miss the transformation into, into becoming the best you, the, the most authentic, 
and liberated you. It's it's not God saying, I'm going to take that away from you. You've simply chosen another kind of reward that's incompatible with that one. So let me ask you, how do I know if I suffer from approval addiction? Well, my life will tell me. I didn't say my wife will tell me, but she might. My life will tell me. You just have to look at your life. And actually, it takes a little bit deeper looking at why you do what you do and who you're doing it for. Just ask that question, who am I doing this for? Is it all about me or is it for God? It's good to get, be clear about that. Ask those kind of questions. Um, who do you care that notices when you serve and give and pray and do whatever good things you're doing in your life. You know, I know that approval addiction is a significant piece of my story. I know it because God's been really clear with me about this. Um, During COVID, it's been especially hard. Many of us, uh, I think all of us during COVID have felt a little bit affirmation starved. Anyone at all feel that way? It used to be my favorite definition of leadership. Leadership is disappointing people at a rate they can stand. (laughs) Well, I feel like during COVID, during this last year and a half or so, uh, everyone's disappointment rates have been screaming sky high, right? It doesn't matter what position you take, somebody's not happy with you, right? I've needed to, uh, over this last year especially, repent and get more serious about considering who is my employer? I I, I know actually you guys pay my salary, but um, God is my employer. I'm actually meant to do this job for him and it doesn't matter whether you're a pastor or a mechanic or school teacher. It's God that's called you to that. You're meant to do that work as unto the Lord, right? why do you do what you do? I, that's a question that God's been asking me to consider and reflect. And, and uh, I, I sense he wants to do, uh, and I, by the way, this has been decades work in me. That's the kind of like long-term commitment God has to our healness and holing, wholeness. He'll keep on speaking at you about things. He'll keep on working at you. And it'll probably be a lifetime healing journey. I've also learned to lean on God's grace. Because the other piece of this is, I don't know if you can ever have perfect motives for everything you do in life. I, I don't think you can. Um, for me, a mentor uh, very early in my pastoral life suggested that before I got up to preach on a Sunday that I pray a simple prayer, because he actually identified this piece of, Derwin, you're never going to have pure motives in preaching. There's always going to be a part of you that wants to uh, impress the people you're speaking to. You're going to want them to like you, right? There's all that, that piece. And so what I've learned to pray at his urging was simply something like this. Lord, you know today my mixed motives. You know my mixed up heart. But I pray today in spite of me, you'll use me. In spite of me, you'll bless people through me. In spite of me, you'll use me to lead people closer to Jesus today. And I've been praying that prayer for now 20-some-odd years of pastoral ministry. And, and in his mercy, he has. 
In spite of me, God uses me. That's a gracious thing. Isn't that good? So just to wrap up, how do we break free from approval addiction, from the tyranny of looking good? Jesus is very practical in a simple antidote for this in the verses that follow in Matthew chapter 6. You can do this this week. All of us can. You can do this. Here's the assignment. Go out into your life. Just live your life. But go in and do something you think Jesus would like you to do. As I heard someone say it, go and do something Jesus-y. Do something Jesus-y in your life. Do something good for somebody. Uh, write a note. Get a, get a gift card at a coffee shop and give it to somebody. Uh, do a, a favor for someone. Uh, give something to the needy. Mentor a kid. In, in light of last week's message... Do something kind or good to somebody you don't like, right? Do something kind to someone who annoys you. But here's the thing. Whatever you do, don't talk about it. Don't tell anyone about it. Do it secretly if you can, right? If you can, do it anonymously. Just do good things and don't tell anyone about it. But for you, I'm suggesting that you kind of run this, this little experiment and find out if Jesus, what he said about do your good deeds in secret, is not true. Whether you will experience a, a little freedom and a little strength. But when you do it, just, just imagine. Imagine as you serve and as you give and as you lead and as you are generous and as you're kind that the Heavenly Father isn't looking down on you with a smile on his face. He's looking down on you with love and saying, well done, my, my daughter. Well done, my son. He's, imagine his pleasure. And here's the thing. You, by doing those good things, you're not earning his love. He already loves you. You're assured of that. But imagine his smile as he considers your offering to him. And let the bondage of other people's approval just fade away. That's life in the kingdom. And friends, this is what apprenticeship to Jesus is. It's following Jesus into this life where you're living it towards God, you're living it under God, and you're living it for God. You're living your life for him because when you begin to live your life for an audience of one, Jesus says your heavenly father who is unseen sees what is done in secret and he will reward you. And you'll become the kind of person who can live in love and joy. I'm going to invite uh, Kevin uh, and the team to come up. Kevin's going to lead us in prayer. Well, friends, let's uh, respond in prayer.